Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, women-run enterprises are businesses, not hobbies. Making money doesn't make you a bitch. And artists deserve to be abundant, not starving. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television, the glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Beaver Talk. Talk. Good morning. Good morning. I'm very excited to introduce to you, Betty's, Tani Chambers, the award-winning entrepreneur and business strategist who leverages 20-plus years' experience in experiential marketing, digital brand strategy, and sales. As a coach and mentor, she helps women entrepreneurs build, brand, and scale profitable businesses. She's the founder of the media tech startup, Vasavi. A multimedia platform and community for underrepresented female entrepreneurs launching fall 2018 and Globe Treppers. All right, doing good. A travel company, a travel club company that curates destination experiences for entrepreneurs and business professionals worldwide. Tani is dedicated to the success of women owned businesses. She uses her voice and influences to advocate for equal economic opportunities, resources, funding and to bring awareness to the disadvantages faced by female founders and entrepreneurs. Tani, welcome to Beaver Talk. Woo! Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. How's your day going? It's going okay. The city is still quiet. That's always good. Yeah. Yeah. It does like empty out in the summer a little bit. Yeah. I guess everyone's away. I I assume so. Oh, they're just not up yet. Maybe they're still hungover from last night. That might be a thing. I saw a lot of runners this morning, oh which I God. never really see. Those people. But there were like 10 like running clubs. You know how people like uh. do that together? And I was like, where are you guys coming from? No, I, I mean, we record at the same time every day. So I was like, where are all these people? A lot of runners today. I don't know. Well, I know Roadrunners has their runners club every Saturday, like 9 to 11 or sometime like that. The dedication hmm. it yeah, takes so. to get up and run every morning. <laughs> It's just a world I'm never going to be a part of. So yeah. I'm like in a total infatuation with it. Yeah. Tony, are you a runner? I am a walker slash runner. Nice. Yeah. When I'm actually doing it. Okay. So I haven't, I've, I'm getting into restarting it again, um, but it's a little too hot right now. So yeah, I for like sure. The summertime, I usually, not so much, um, but usually like fall, spring, even parts of the winter, I'm good. Like I'll do it. Yeah. Cool. I wish I could be a runner. I feel like we've talked about this before. I just don't have it in my body to like, I haven't hit that threshold where like, you know how you're, you're running for the joy of it. Like you're not thinking about your breathing or the the runner's high as it's commonly known. Yeah. I don't feel like I've ever experienced that. I'm always just struggling. So I haven't really broken through yet. Do you get to runner's high? Uh, I don't think I get a runner's high. I think I get a walker's high. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, walking for me in the morning is very much a spiritual thing. So Mm. it's a time for me to get my head together. No one's bothering me. So that's the time I do it. I think the running is a part of the fitness component for me and, you know, stretching myself. But um, 
runner's high? I don't think so. I think the high is like, hey, I actually ran two yeah. miles today. The you know, of after. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Can I ask you guys a weird question? <laughs> Always. Um, do, are there any points of your day, like when you're talking about walking and stuff, that you like don't have your headphones in and you're not like doing something else? Because I've noticed lately I'm like, oh, I should just walk this block like regular. Yeah. Because I been, feel like I'm constantly wanting to absorb or not be bored or be stimulated in some way. And I'm like, I think this is bad for my brain. Yeah, I've noticed myself like unplug consciously making myself unplug for like a walk to the grocery store or walk to something just because like I've noticed so much it's like default to put your headphones in and turn on a podcast like Beaver Talk or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I have to unplug. I actually, I think it's the opposite for me. I think there's oh. so much noise around that I'm plugging in even if there's nothing playing. Mm. Just so that I can hear myself. Like I love doing that sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, just so I can hear myself um, and I can block out the noise around me. I pretended to be on the phone yesterday to myself <laughs> <laughs> so that I could talk Why? to my unborn daughter, <laughs> which is kind of I weird. feel like that was the lead. I don't feel like. <laughs> wow. Because I went to the Paris Theater. <laughs> And I was like in that neighborhood where we did our movie premiere. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I want to take her to the theater. And then I was like, I should tell her like what this is. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I try to like telepathically talk to her. But I was like, I feel like this is like a moment that I like need to actually use words. And I really didn't. I said like two sentences, but I was like, it's weird that I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> That's such a weird thing to do. And I love it. <laughs> but were you worried about people around you? I mean, or? I don't I mean. I think that's why I pretended to be on the phone because I was like talking to myself and then I was like, this is probably looking weird. Do you know what I'm saying? It's New York. It's, it's New York. okay that's to be no, weird. Nobody I just thought it was wacky. Yeah. Nobody saw it. Yeah, I tried yeah. to get into the theater too, actually, but a movie was playing. Oh. But they were very, the women were very nice about it. They're like, come back. We'll let you in the theater. You could look around. I've, we have, I haven't been in there in two years. Oh, really? Yeah, I haven't what been to see does. a movie. It's a great hmm. theater. I love it. I got to go. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Sorry for that question. <laughs> no. Um, Tony, I'd love to know what media like was your like upbringing. Like, what stuff were you into? Were you a kid who watched a lot of television? Like, what stuff do you think like shaped your? So this is such a difficult question because I am definitely a TV junkie. Mm. So and Welcome I've always been to the club. <laughs> yeah, you're with us. You're with your people. I would say the last two years less though. Um, mm. And I think even if I go a little bit back, I think it started with like the writer's strike, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. A um, lot of things derailed in that time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm, you know, I've always been a TV junkie. So from a young person, I would say like influences, like I'm just thinking like after school and then it was like phases in my life, right? Mm. So like after school kid was like. Batman, but like Batman with, um, I forgot his name, the actor, but like the real life Batman, not the cartoon Batman. Okay. Yeah. Do you guys remember that? I do remember that. Yeah. When he literally would know? go pow and yes. you would see the picture yes. and you'd be like, pow, bam, like yes. Batman. And then like Trent. Yes. Yes, Adam West. So that was like, I saw um, that. and then like Thundercats and Transformers, like that mm. whole, that was my life. We're like, like an action. Still am. Love Still that. Am, All right. So, and then there was like phases, like adolescence, I think, you know, I think very impactful about seeing representation that was like Cosby. Like, mm. undoubtedly, it was mm -hmm. the Cosby show. It was like, black family in Brooklyn, Blownstone, yeah. doctor and lawyer. Yes, we do this. Like, yeah. you know, for some people, it was like, yeah, this is normal, you know, but seeing it on TV. But also, what's interesting is like, 
understanding racism, my first understanding on TV was like with the Jeffersons. Mm. And the Jeffersons were like before my time. So this was definitely like the reruns I was watching. Yeah. You know, so it's... It, Tell us, wait, what do you, explain that to us. So there's an episode, and the Jeffersons, first of all, it started, if you know, it started with Archie, it was a spinoff from Archie Bunker. Mm-hmm. So we know Archie Bunker is misogynist, racist, he was like everything, right? Yeah. Um, and so somehow he knew George, and I don't know, they were friends or something, and anyway, George Jefferson got, the Jeffersons got their own spinoff. And so there were a few episodes, I think one episode specifically was when Martin Luther King Jr. got killed. Mm. And there were riots in, I think he was in Harlem or something like that. There were riots. And that's when I first understood. And then there was, an, like, they showed an incident when something happened to him. He didn't get something. And the reason why he didn't get it, because it wasn't that he wasn't qualified the best, but because he was the black cleaning company. And they were mm. like, no, we didn't want this. And then they had the um, the multiracial couple, uh, Willis and, I forgot the wife's name right now, Helen, Helen and Willis, uh, and they had the son and things. So that was like my first thing. And I grew up going to like a private school, all white girls, like literally there were five of us, like these are the five black kids in the school, you know, in your class, like, you know. So it was, but it was like watching TV kind of exposed me to those things, you know, and then like a different world was like this, Afrocentric side of you and it's like really interesting mm, that's you know so powerful yeah so like tv was crazy and you know my friends laugh at me and I'm just gonna admit this because they go um um they hate when I say this I probably shouldn't say it, <laughs> say it. <laughs> this is a safe space they go you know they say when I watch tv and they, they ask me about certain shows and I go I don't watch black shows and they go what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't. I say, I'll tell you which ones I watch, you know? Like, I'm about to start watching Queen Sugar because it actually looks really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm Caribbean. My father's American and, like, uh, Native American and things like that. My mom is Jamaican, you know? But um, I think about Queen Sugar is, like, the South. I don't really know a lot about that, you mm-hmm. know, even though my father's us. I was like, you know, this would be interesting type yeah. of thing. Um, so I watch that, but I'm like, I don't. And they go, why? And I'm like, I don't know. I like the comedy on, <laughs> I don't know, white shows better. So I watched Friends and mm-hmm. I like, I just watched the whole 11 season of Frasier again, right? <laughs> on Netflix, because writing on TV right now sucks to me. Like, I think really? that with, I think with the push of so much content, like just content, content and the, the high, the rise of the, Netflix and the Hulus and the crackles and stuff mm-hmm. that they just started putting out anything. Yeah. And I missed good TV writing. I missed good jokes. And Frasier was like my saving Frasier's grace. Frasier's a great show. Saving grace. I mean, you can watch it over at different ages, I think, and mm-hmm. you start like, oh my God. You know? <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah. You, <laughs> there's some jokes you're like, oh, that was so not appropriate. But, <laughs> you know, back then, I literally they would laugh at me in the house because at night I'm laughing out loud and like, are you watching Frasier? And I'm like, yep. You know, you know it. Yeah. So my like, husband and I went through a Frasier phase yeah. like a couple of years ago mm. where we watched the whole thing. Yeah. So it's like, so, so like now on TV, like that translates to like, or Netflix is like Grace and Frankie. I, I think mm. Grace and Frankie is hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, this is good writing, you know? Yeah. Um, so like those were so many influences for me. I'm a generation Xer. So like I've got these so many different influences and where I fall it's like 
Yeah, I'll still watch things that millennials watch, but then I'm still watching things that baby boomers watch. I get it, you know. And then well, we, we have, have such stuff. access to everything that it's like, you know, I was yeah. watching Family Matters for right. a little while just because it was on, and right. I was like, well, we have access to this right. thing that I used to be so obsessed with as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And then like for media, like video music box. Do you know video music box? No. Oh, yeah. This is this is where I really show that I'm a New Yorker. (laughs) So video music box was like the first one of the first I think there were only three at the time video music show, right. Mm -hmm. And it was out of New York. And it was on this channel like channel 41. And we all watched it. And it was all like hip hop, right. And then there was MTV, right. MTV was like a show kind of thing, or maybe they had like three shows. It wasn't like a full blown channel like right, it right. was. I think this. I think they started. This when, I don't remember when they started Real World. I remember it came on. That's when they started to have a, like a real channel. Yeah. But it was just like videos. So again, we go back to like me going to school. So it was like watching MTV and being able to watch like Van Halen and things like that, and then watching Video Music Box when I'm watching LL Cool J mm-hmm. and I'm gonna have to Big ask Daddy my husband, King. Because he's from yeah. the Bronx. I wonder if he, he I'm knows sure he knows it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what this is, Kat? Was it a Staten Island thing? No. <laughs> it was a Staten Island thing because Wu-Tang was on Video Music Box. Come on. <laughs> there we go. Covered so, all of it. <laughs> so it was like, you know, that was the interesting thing. And it was so much. But I was a TV junkie. And then it was like my young adult phase where it was like, all about the CW. Still mm-hmm. kind of is all about CW oh, yeah. for me just, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So I it's all about Jane the Virgin. Buffy, Angel, like that. Like it was like. Do I feel not like I call. missed Buffy. Oh my god! Oh my god. I would love Buffy. Go back immediately. I know that was. I tried to go back once, and then I was doing something else, and it got wait tra- like. On I don't the know wayside, if I would watch but, it again now or Angel. Yeah. yeah I feel no. like it's so much rooted in nostalgia that it's like one of those things. If you can yeah. connect to it, because uh-huh. it's like just really campy and fun, but. So much of the joy of watching it now is nostalgia. Like Gilmore Girls. All of that was like that CW time. Mm-hmm. So it was like young adolescent. And I had a thing like, do not call me after <laughs> 8 p.m. And, you Your know, do not between on. 8 and 10 because my shows are on. Yeah, like why would you be calling me? So I literally <laughs> would answer my phone like, why are you calling me? I it miss just better be an emergency. <laughs> that. I miss that so much of yeah. just like appointment-based viewing where it's yeah. like you knew you had something to do Thursday nights. Well, I kind of feel like but. RuPaul for me it ha- holds that space only because if you don't watch it that day, you will see a spoiler on Instagram. Oh, yeah. And so it oh. really makes a point like mm. especially if something big is coming – it's the worst to be scrolling through and to know a spoiler, <laughs> yeah. you know, mm. especially at the end when it's only like, you know, eight queens. It's really. Mm. I don't watch live TV anymore. So that's a different. That's Do you watch the... any like garbage shows, like any reality? Well, I have been always anti-reality TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when they first came out, it was like, okay, but I have a confession. This season, mm-hmm. I actually have been watching Basketball Wives. Mm. <gasps> Yeah, just, you know, I don't know why. I think it was the whole rumor with uh, Shawnee O'Neal's ex. We know who that is, right? <laughs> and I was just like, oh, I have to find out if Evelyn slept with Shawnee O'Neal's ex, mm. you know? And so I've been watching it. That's right. why. But um, I think well, I'm like I watch two a lot of garbage behind. TV, so there's no shame here. <laughs> yeah. You're really. I mean, yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, we go really, it's a whole thing. I mean, but... it get watched in my house. My mom loves it. Like, she yeah. watches it. So I always, somehow know what's going on mm-hmm. just like the passing by you kind of I don't know yeah. you pick well, up you things. don't really need yeah. to be in it yeah. you can just kind of hear yeah but it, there's something kind of um safe about it 
mm-hmm. and like it just it's such a brain cleanser of like it doesn't <laughs> you know, ask it anything doesn't ask of, you. of you yeah. yeah and I also think from a psychological perspective it's really I, you see a lot of yourself in some of the garbage that people exude mm-hmm. and it's like wow like you really think about like the way you communicate like I, it's actually <laughs> a real learning tool for me yeah I think that's like very much a you thing I know I don't know why I guess so what are your favorites right now? Like, is there anything that you're, like, obsessed with or? I watch all of the superhero shows. DC I love and that that's, Marvel. like, your lane. Yeah, that is me. Like, that's. Do you ever watch Once Upon a Time? Of course. I watched the whole <laughs> thing. I watched Once Upon a Time in Wonderland and they I, took it away. But I yeah. watched a lot. I was heavy into that for yeah. many a Hulu seasons. Yeah. And then I kind of trickled. You know, like, you fall out of it and then you forget about it kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I, I liked that. I loved the pirate with the eyeliner. Oh. Uh, yeah, Hook. yeah. He seems like your type of guy. <laughs> <laughs> we know the types, right? But um, I think all I watch all the super super uh, hero shows, and I just finished watching. My brother put me onto this show, um, Into the Badlands, mm. with uh, I think it's Daniel Wu. So it's a lot of. I mean, the fight scenes are great. I love it. Um, the storyline right now with the third season is kind of freaking me out but um it's kind of like okay what are you guys gonna do but I'm gonna wait hopefully it comes back in September and I'll see I try not to commit to anything that hasn't especially if it's on Netflix or anything doesn't have at least four seasons I'm with you girl you really want to invest yeah I don't want to invest time in something that's going to be gone after like one or two seasons are you into like all the superhero movies then or is it just strictly a television no no, I go to every you're all into all of them I'm behind right now I haven't gone to seeing um see the ant and wasp and I haven't seen Deadpool but wow you're really you're really committed to this franchise I've been like this since I was younger so I'm into like comic books and stuff like that so cool yeah very excited to see how it plays out I'm not like a lot of comic book nerds or the like oh this wasn't done properly mm-hmm. and things like I don't really care you're not like a purist no yeah. I just I, did like, you like Jessica Jones I like the you know here's the thing Jessica Jones was the first mm-hmm. right and we had to adapt to the slow moving pace of the show okay. right it was like oh god like I had to watch the first couple episodes like I think twice before like try to watch it twice before I actually got into it mm. then finally I got into it I loved Daredevil right Daredevil was slow too though you mm. know um so I haven't watched the second season of Jessica Jones yet I've heard mixed things about it I'm trying to just watch and see what happens because another thing is you know uh, art imitating life it's you can see it in everything mm. and I get it. I love it. Show women. You know, we need those messages out there. I'm down for it. But can we do that and still keep with the the storylines and the message? Yeah. And does it? I don't want it to feel inauthentic. Mm. And sometimes I feel like it's inauthentic. I haven't watched with Jessica Jones. I mean, I understand her story, so it's probably perfect. You know, especially in this time right now, what she went through. Um, but I just hope so. I hope yeah. it hasn't just like something weird. Like I felt like after Black Panther. You all of a sudden started seeing all these black female superheroes and black heroes like coming to the forefront in shows or they were having their own special episode. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, OK, now everyone wants it's like we didn't wait. They just mean how much we need a black superhero. Let's yeah. go. Like you feel like that was what was happening in all of the you know board meetings now, which I'm sure is what's happening. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Um, and it's just good business, so I get it. Um, if that's what the people want, give it to them. If it's right. going to work, we should try it. Um, but let's give them great content and great characters and really lo- elevate the stories. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, Agreed. And I think that's why I like Into the Badlands. Um, you know, you know, yeah, I'd like to see an Asian man doing martial arts. You know what I mean? That maybe American Anime is like post-apocalyptic world or whatever. Um, but yeah, let's let him do his thing. <laughs> I like it. That's awesome. I've never even heard of that show, yeah. so that's definitely something we should. But check I was—I want to say—I was very impressed with Luke Cage mm. this um, this last season. Um, It—it was—I think it was special for me because the dynamic of the black community in where it is black Americans and black Caribbeans. Mm. It is, I, I, this is me, you know? And a lot of people, when they watched it, if you're a, what we, a first generation American, Caribbean family, you so get this, you know? Like you so get what's going on, you so get the arguments, what they were talking about, just even their views of slavery and how they viewed each other for their mm. part or not taking part in uh, com- uh, uh, the revolution against being a slave. Like it's, it's, a lot that gets unpacked in Luke Cage. And I haven't seen like, that one yet. Have you seen it, Diana? No, I'd never watch never any watch. of the superhero stuff. So I'm like, Diana, I, I know blasphemy. it is a huge <laughs> blind spot for me. And I feel like my husband is only like now starting to introduce me to a lot of more of it. And I'm like, oh, like I've reached a saturation point. <laughs> I like get there so quickly. I'm just yeah. like, eh, I feel like bad. I'm a like a fair weather friend. Like I'll yeah. watch the Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. I saw Black Panther. Like I, I'm going to mm-hmm. jump in for like Something. when I feel like I need to and when mm-hmm. I want to watch content. But yeah, I'm not committed. It's okay. Like that's cool. No, I mean, I feel like it's okay. Like, you know, some people. But like we're like, like, yeah, this uh-huh. is such a huge genre uh-huh. and I completely agree with you. I want to see them not be lazy about it. Right. And I want, I think that's what drives me crazy about so many superhero movies is like they go for the obvious. They go for what's <laughs> going to make money. Because this is mm-hmm. blockbusters. Right. Like, this is what they're here for. Right. But I'm like, I, they have the money. They have mm-hmm. the access. They have the resources. And I would love to see them elevate these stories in a really beautiful way. Because right. there's so much great source content there. Right. So, like, dear Hollywood, there is, there are characters in every culture and genres. There are heroes in every culture and character. You do not have to whitewash it. You yeah. can just put it out there as is, as Black Panther showed you. And guess what? Everyone will embrace it. If totally. it's good content, good writing, good acting, just make good movies, yeah. you know, sure. and represent everyone. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Stop underserving audiences. It's crazy to me that they just ignore a huge, huge demographic of people for the sake of casting Ben Affleck or casting, you know what I mean? Like, it's it's so crazy. Something that I thought was cool, I guess it's not cool, but um, they cast Scarlett Johansson to be a trans woman in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she dropped it. Oh, did she? Yeah. Well, the outcry was like, yeah. Oh, people were she, like, you can't do this. She did you this already with Ghost did in the this. With, yeah. And she was like, I'm not. And she heard people and she dropped it. Oh, wow. Because when I read it, she was a little Diana resistant. is rolling her eyes. Because she was Nobody resistant. Would go see it. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I'm yeah. sure the studios, she was probably like, people hate me. <laughs> this is a huge, this is, this is the story now, not what the. But I do think it's a I do think it's a positive move that people are whether it's financially driven or, you know, pressure. I'm so pressure about these things. I think it's great that people are being listened like the people are being we're being heard that like Mm -hmm. this is not acceptable anymore to do. 
Well, I think it comes back to what Ava DuVernay was saying when we saw her speak. My Queen favorite Ava. Ava. Queen Lady. Ava. And you guys didn't take me to see her. I know you, you, so uh, you Facebook, uh, I think, commented or messaged, like, flipping out, like, she's in New York. <laughs> but, like, one of the most amazing things she said was that the audience has the power. You got there. She's like, every single meeting I go into with producers, every single meeting I go into with studio execs, they want to know what you want. Mm-hmm. They want to know what you're going to pay money for. So I think that's total. You're seeing that with Scarlett Johansson is like, people aren't going to go see this because they're outraged. Well, so good. It's like, I feel like it's, a, it's an alignment financially of like what's obviously needs to be done. And then like, it's kind of a cool alignment, I think. Speaking of finances, <laughs> just to pivot us a little nice bit. Nice segue. Thank you. Um, something that I think is really interesting that Diana and I actually have been in conversation with about this topic this week is like creatives and the financial back end and kind of the way that not only that influences our work and our worth, but kind of how we bring ourselves into the world. Um and something that I think is really fascinating is I think as women, we oftentimes forget that having money means having power. And I think there's a real disconnect between a lot of, you know, young women and entrepreneurs wanting to bring really good work into the world and wanting to make a social impact and a difference and then feeling the guilt around making money and feeling the shame around asking for money. And it it becomes this very entangled thing. And, you know, Diana and I have a lot of sales experience from Dream Girl of like people assuming we were a nonprofit. (laughs) <laughs> and people assuming that, you know, we were here to do the good work. And I don't know how they thought we were getting paid. I mean, maybe an angel from above or maybe they <laughs> thought we were trust fund kids. I mean, I have no idea. But we got a lot of shame for trying to ask for money for something that, you know, we spent $200,000 producing, you know, over two years. So um, it's a it's a really interesting topic. And I think it really weaves into kind of how we continue to spread our message and spread our story. Um, But the importance of finances, I'm wondering if you just have any thoughts off the bat about kind of working with women and coaching them. And I know I've talked to you about money before. So generally when it comes to asking for money and just, you know, there's a, a nasty word in business. It's a curse word that most women don't like to be associated with, sales, right? Mm. But it's just the definition of business. Like yeah. if you're in business, you are literally exchanging goods and services for currency, right? It is That is the definition of business. That is the sale. That is the action there. And so therefore, if you are exchanging goods and services and you're not getting any currency, you're getting pats on the back, you're getting nice job, you're getting all these things, you are not in business. Um, so, and even if you are a nonprofit, don't forget nonprofit business, Mm -hmm. that you are a business, that in order for a nonprofit to work and do good, that it has to generate money, that money has to be spent, you know, and put back out and roll back into the business and no profit that is dividends, you know, divvied up and shared, but it needs to make money to run because Con Edison or the light company, whoever, wherever you're listening Rat, you know, uh, does not care that you're a nonprofit. They already gave you a discount, but you still have to pay your bills. Your mm-hmm. landlord does not care yeah. about those things. So I think that we have to remember those things and remember not that we are not we are not in business to take on the strain of those things and it not to be our problem. If we are selling a good or service that is 
something that our audience, whomever wants, they're going to be willing to pay for it. So sometimes I think it's one, you're talking to the wrong person, because mm -hmm. if you have to convince someone that this is good for them, not that's your not customer. your person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're wasting your time. So I think one of the key things is stop talking to the wrong people. And we could talk about that a little bit more later. And then also um, with representing yourself, it's, it's kind of hard, but knowing your worth, right? Mm. And, and I'm, you know, there's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a strategy to this, right? Because there are some people who I see, I feel go extremely overboard, right? And then there are some people who just do not ask. Right. Mm -hmm. So I say you can ask for anything you want. I don't you know, what's the number? A client's asked me, well, what should I be charging for this? I don't know. What do you want to charge for it? What do you think you deserve? Yeah. Right. Whatever that is. But here's the caveat, because everyone says charge your worth. Do it, you know, charge what you think you deserve and all that. You better deliver. Mm. That's the thing. You better deliver. Yeah. Right. So the problem becomes sometimes is that we get caught into this, we don't deliver, and then the person's like, well, you didn't, you know, I, you know, this is what you said you were going to do, blah, blah, blah. I didn't get this, I'm not happy about this, and then we shrink back. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, see, I charged too much it's for like this. You think you get your hand slapped, and it's like the end of the world. Right. Yeah. And then, um, and then it's the other person who wants to overcompensate, you know, well, I'm going to give them all this, give them all of that, because... I'm charging so much. I think that's what we did in the beginning of our journey. <laughs> right. Oh, my God, that journey. It's a whole other. <laughs> like, we'll give you this for free and this and this and right. this yeah. and this. Because these value. are the 15 add-ons you can get. Right. That's the value thing that's out there in, you know, the the treps first or whatever. Now it's like, give everyone amazing value. Yeah. That's great. But let's define what value is and what value is to those people. Because all these add-ons may not be valuable to them, may not really hold any weight to them. So it doesn't make you your, increase your value. It's just stuff that they don't really care about. Right. So it's actually a bunch of stuff. You're actually decreasing your value. It's, you're right? compensating for a lack you feel in your, in your business and in your right. own product. So I think that a lot of that comes from, of course, nurture, how we're brought mm -hmm. up, media, hello, you know, um, representation matters, right? So if you are not seeing the powerful woman who's not being called a bitch or, you know, who's not the mean girl or whatever, but the assertive woman who is wealthy, who is asking for what she deserves and getting it and getting supported, right? then you're going to think that what you're seeing out there, what you've experienced, what you've maybe seen your mom or your aunt or whoever go through, that's how you're supposed to be. So we are supposed to be the nurturers. Remember, mm. we are the, they are the, the men are the hunters and gatherers and we are the nurturers. We're home, take, they bring it, they bring home the bacon and we take care of it kind of thing. So, you know, it's almost like society and our upbringing has already trained us like, oh, well, we're not supposed to be out there asking for that money. But that's not how reality is, right? Reality right. Is, is that there may not be a hunter or gatherer. You are the hunter and gatherer and the nurturer. So you have to get the meats and whatever, the berries or whatever it is. Yeah, it's almost like it's that common, you know, we ran into this so much with Dream Girl and, and just talking to my friends in general. I know so many so many of my friends are entrepreneurs, if not like, you know, it's a side hustle or maybe it's their full-time job. Um, but they talk all the time about how like we have this notion as women that if we ask for money, we're less spiritual, we're less grounded, we're mm -hmm. less like 
we're greedy, we're mm-hmm. shallow. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. there's just so many nasty words that we attach to making money. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things, um, and this is going off of the idea of worth mm-hmm. and all of the narratives that are wrapped up in that word, um, I think there's a real struggle for a lot of creatives in particular and a lot of women when they are their product, like mm-hmm. they are their business. Mm-hmm. And Preach, they, sister. Yeah, they... <laughs> It's hard to ask for money, like as a, say you're a speaker, like Aaron, you've you've gone through this a lot, um, or you've created a film that's like very deeply personal to you. So that product is very much attached to your identity, and it's attached mm-hmm. to who you are. And I think that there's a lot of shame that then comes around of like, how do you attach a dollar sign to that, <laughs> and how much money is attached to that dollar sign, mm-hmm. and what can I charge for something that I created from my heart space? I think you're totally right. And I think like when we would get on calls, especially in the beginning, and it doesn't bother me so much anymore, but having people say, well, like, I don't think this is worth anything and I don't see the value in this and I don't want to pay for that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we get so much free content. Why should we pay, you know, $300 for something? It used to gut me. Mm -hmm. It used to be such an, it would shake my identity Mm -hmm. as a creator and it would give me, it would create resentment, you know, Mm -hmm. for the process. And Mm -hmm. I feel like I had to really work through kind of elevating my identity um, when I would get on those calls, which is why we would work on our sales personas of like, okay, who am I going to embody? Because I cannot be myself on this call. Mm. I have to disconnect from, you know, being Aaron, the creator and the filmmaker into, you know, I would channel Miss Piggy and Reese Witherspoon and like my, you know, positive, upbeat, very light characters because I could not actually be that person on the phone. Yeah. So I guess in in your work, like, have you kind of noticed that with some of your clients? And like, what's your kind of advice for women to detangle their identity from what they're selling? Well, I think that you should be yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think one of the things that I think helped me, you know, going through that phase was, okay, well, if I don't what happens? I think yeah. that's what I always think. It's, you know, kind of a scare tactic to yourself, but it's like, okay, it's kind of a them or me thing, right? And I think that's how a lot of men walk into it. You know, they are, and I've been fortunate enough to be in, in work in corporate environments like that with a lot of men and pick those up, but they walk in and they say, th- their attitude is like, I have a family at home I have to feed, I have bills to pay, and it's me or them. Yep. So, if I don't go get this deal, this this uh, this deal, this sale, then I'm in trouble. Then mm-hmm. I don't feed my family. Then my family's on the street. I think sometimes we have to think in that terms. Like I have a right to this, you know, mm. and it belongs to you know. I have a right to this. I am offering you what is good, I, and I think that's what it is. Like I am not offering you something you don't need. Mm -hmm. So that's going back to talking to the wrong person. If you are offering someone a solution that is truly valuable to them, there is no argument. People do not shop based on price. Mm -hmm. They shop based on value. Always remember that. It doesn't matter how much it is. We all do it. There are just some things we just take the supermarket. There is just some things that it doesn't matter what's on sale. We don't care. Right. We're buying that brand. Yes. Yeah. We it's know and trust $3 it. $3 more than the mm-hmm. one that's on sale. Yeah. We don't care. We, we don't even see the thing that's on sale. Right. We might see it, pick it up, look at it. Oh, interesting. Maybe I'll try it one day. You, pick, you might try that and pick up mm-hmm. <laughs> the original one just in case. 
We don't shop based on price. We shop based on value. And what you value, you will pay whatever for. Mm. I feel like, and I don't mean to cut you off, but mm -hmm. I feel like I really had an aha moment of, you know, even just being pregnant, like I, you know, I, about a year ago, we I acquired all this debt and the business went through this huge turmoil, which I'm writing this like whole expose about, um, which people can read on my blog. But I wrote kind of my financial manifesto called Creative Money, which is about how as an artist, I was going to, you know, redefine sales. Mm -hmm. um, and it was something that, you know, we did as a team and that I really held dear because I was like, I'm making a lot of mistakes and I'm in a lot of financial trouble and I need to rewire this and I need to dive into these narratives um, and so I've been really steadfast in, you know, not working for free and not being tricked by like the myth of exposure for payment. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these things that we're talking about. And I will say being pregnant, um, it has elevated my sense, not really even of my of the work and the value, but like that I can't, you know, right now my whole thing is like I'm saving from maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So when I get on a call with somebody and they're like, I can't pay you, then I'm like, there's no, there's nothing I can do here because now it's not about me. It's about like this baby and like mm -hmm. this family and like mm -hmm. providing and supporting. And I think having that kind of backbone of it's not about you, it's mm -hmm. about something greater is so empowering. And it gives you such an excuse almost that mm -hmm. like, oh, it's not about me. Like it's about, mm -hmm. you know, my kid and it's about this, mm -hmm. you know, family dynamic. And I think the messages that we see in the media, and you know, we can't speak for, you know, um, not all men walk into the room and totally know their worth and value, but that's a message they're constantly given, mm -hmm. you know, that you're the provider, you're the character, like you're bringing home the bacon. And I think because women have missed out on that message, it's mm -hmm. something that we need to constantly be railing into our brains that like, this is something that we can, this is a narrative we can take on and mm -hmm. it can use, we can use it to kind of keep pushing us forward. Mm -hmm. And even if there is no family or anyone, it's sure. still you. Yeah, you don't right? need, that's like, what I'm saying. You don't yeah. need it, right. you know, to really have that aha, but right. like we're not getting that message unless we mm -hmm. create it for ourselves. No, we're, we're not <laughs> because it's not run by us. Yeah. <laughs> and we live in a patriarchic uh, society. So, I mean, it's not. But another thing that I noticed is, um, so we know this, let's say the three of us know this, right? what are we doing, right, to make sure this narrative goes, uh, continues, right? So I was told a story, um, a friend of mine who works in the uh, auto industry, I won't name her company because she's still there. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> she was at a conference with Facebook last year, and there's an, there's an interesting story about Amy Schumer. Mm. And I'll tell you why I bring that up. And in comparison, I wanted to talk about Monique, talking about, Oh, yeah. work uh, worth and how society plays into this and keeps pushing that narrative. And a lot of people don't know this story, but um, the executive, there was a, before she got the, she did the Anheuser-Busch commercial with Seth Rogen. Mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. it Seth Rogen? She, um, she, they were negotiating it, right? Okay, so I want to make sure I give you the right points. Right. So she was, they were negotiating it. So whoever was the executive, I think I'm going to leave her nameless too, right? <laughs> there was a female executive at uh, Widener and Kennedy, right? Who stood up. The deal had not been brought to Amy yet. What was on the table is that, hey, we're going to bring Amy and Seth Rogen to do this Anheuser Busch commercial. Mm -hmm. We're going to give Seth 24 million, we're going to give Amy 12. 
This female executive at Widener and Kennedy, who doesn't have to do this, stood up for Amy and negotiated on her behalf. Mm. Amy has not even been brought this deal yet. Right. Mm-hmm. Understand this. And she's like, wait, well, why? Yeah. Why are we giving, why, they're doing the same thing. Why aren't we giving them both the same amount of money? Now, usually in a room like that, that's not even thought of, right. you know, why she, did, she wasn't like a starch advocate, not that we know why, why this made a light bulb go off on her head. We don't know, but it did. And mm-hmm. she said, no, but they're doing the same thing. And she was in a position where she could say that and say, we're not doing that. We're going to give them both the same money, et cetera. Of course, numbers came out, well, this and that. And she's like, no, they're doing the same thing. We're giving them both the same money. And again, she negotiated, she stood up for Amy before this even got to Amy, Yeah. right? So now let's think about it. This is probably what gave Amy the courage when the Netflix deal happened to say, well, give me more money, because I'm sure she knows about this now, right? Well, yeah. give me more money. But then now let's look at it in society perspective. Let's look at Monique comes out, yeah. right? If you followed what happened with Monique, Monique wasn't attacking Amy Schumer. She's just saying, well, let's look at you know, we want to talk about these things. I walked into Netflix and they wanted to offer me half a million dollars. And they offered my colleagues, period, right? Amy Schumer, what, 12, 10 million she ended up getting, or 12 million or something like that. Yeah. 25 million for these guys. You know, I mean, you know, Dave walked away. He said, screw you guys. Yeah. I'm going to go live in Africa for years. Keep your 50 million. I'm not selling my soul. He left. And came back and got more money, huge money. So we can't, you know, all these things that were were being said about her worth Mm -hmm. was, oh, you haven't sold out a stadium. Amy sold out a stadium. You haven't done this. Mind you, when when the negotiations, when Amy said she wanted more money, this was happening with her too. You know, like, well, yeah, but you're not. Why? And this is happening from women as well, who yeah, are out right. there saying this, right? So, I, you know, I look at the story with, you know, Monique, and it became not only are, as women are we out there and our worth is diminished against a man, then we've got intersectionality and we've got levels of it as women, right? So now Monique is not worth the same thing as Amy Schumer because she's a white woman. Now, if there was another comedian, uh, comedian, comedian, right, that was there, maybe was a white woman, wasn't Jewish, maybe she would have got more money because she's not Jewish. I don't know or vice versa. I don't know. There's so many levels to it. But one of the things that I noticed was the attack on Monique, on her credibility, her, you know, her validity of, validity of the things that she said that been happening to her in Hollywood, in the industry, right? And then a point I want to make just about how, about this, and I'll get right to it, is that now, did you guys have heard about what's happened with Damon Dash and Lee Daniels? Have you heard about no. that? No. <laughs> yeah, I did. You heard a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So Damon Dash, do you know who Damon Dash Yes, you know yeah. Damon Dash. Okay, so Damon Dash gave Lee Daniels some money, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago to do a film mm-hmm. when no one else in Hollywood had given him money. And so for me and my community grow up in New York, this is typical, right? You're the... You're the guy who goes in, does the corporate, you know, that everybody likes, you know. And then there's the sh- no one will give you the money. And then you go to the street guy who's like, all right, I'll give you the money, you know. Gives him the money. Doesn't make any crazy, you know, demands. It's not like, you know, 
you know, yeah, you, I'm going to give you two million. You need to give back twenty million. Yeah. Something crazy. He it's says not like strings or anything. Yeah, yeah. he just says, "Here, I believe in you. I'm going to give it to you." But this is what I want. I, I'm moving into. I want to get into film and things like this. I because I don't care about music. I see where music is going. I don't want to do this. I'm going to give you this money. And Lee says, "I'm going to give you back the money in a month or something like that." Right. And um, and yes, I'm going to put you down with like precious empire things like that. Gets in the industry, gets hooked up with the folks, disappears. Never gives them the money, right? Mm-hmm. Monique talks about Lee Daniels, right? She talks about how, you know, she talks about a couple of people, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she talks about three people specifically and how, how she felt wrong by them, right? Oh, she's bitter. She's this. I mean, they took this woman down, right? And these are our own people, our peers, right? Took her down. Now, Lee Daniels end up on film, with Damon admitting he's gone in interviews, apologizing to Damon, saying, yes, he did take the money from Damon. He's, Damon took him to court, won, and he still hasn't paid the lawsuit, <laughs> right? So he's, he admits on video, right? Yes, I owe you the money. I'm sorry. Let's talk about this, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. Now everyone goes, well, maybe Monique wasn't lying about something. So why is it that we needed validity? And trust me, if it was, Damon's been saying this for a long time. So if he didn't have the video, his word wouldn't have yeah. been worth crap. Be you know what I mean? Yeah. But he had the video, right? Yeah. So why did, look, let's look at the layers of oh that, my God. right? And all the hopes people have to jump through in order right. to like, like just level a claim that is true. Right. I mean, we give so much space to like all of the gossip around like Taylor right. Swift and like <laughs> the Kardashians and like all of right. this like stuff. And it's just like, Somebody comes out and says something that's like very real, right. very much impacts their career, mm-hmm. very much impacts the space right. that, and level of influence they want to have in the industry right. and in their craft. Right. And look at all the hoops we make them jump through to like right. even get well, any airtime. And something we talk about all the time is like the fact that men are allowed to fail and mm-hmm. they're, you know, the fact mm-hmm. that Lee Daniels had this happen, like no one yeah. probably cares. Like no. everyone's yeah, no. like, oh, well, that's something mm-hmm. they need to deal with. Right. You know, yeah. it's like, I, and I've heard it talked about before right. and nobody, there isn't this you know, <laughs> there's a viciousness to the way that we talk about women and the way that they want right. more. Right. That is, I mean, and it's statistically proven that when women are asking for promotions, mm-hmm. they are less liked. That this is like across the board in any industry. Right. You know, but when they get those positions, they're respected. It's like such a weird, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, We're told mind- to be grateful for what we have. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, it's a half a million dollars. Do you know how many people would be grateful for half a million dollars? That was the conversation. And I mean, that's relative, though. Like, I mean, you're telling me who's, yes, a decorated comedian, right? Who, I'm not a newbie, right? I've been here, done this. And then you're telling me. She was also nominated for an Academy Award. See, (laughs) she won an Oscar. Yeah. (laughs) Let's be clear. Yeah, she won it for Precious. She won an Oscar. So now has only, she's also, her acting has made that film more valuable, right? It's made on, she only got paid $50,000 for it, right? So let's, it, we unpack that, but then now we have to look at our part in that, right? We're on social media talking about, well, I don't think she deserves this. And I don't think that she deserves this. Well, she also she kind of this. wanted everyone to boycott Netflix, which she I think did. was a hard <laughs> move to make in our, right. on our world of streaming. Because I think right. then people were like, oh, well, now we're going to pick a side about, 
everyone was like, well, we're not going to do this, Monique. Even though we support you. Like, we're not, this isn't, But do we support her? That's my thing. Like, do we support her? And do we say, we say, I'm not going to, because I didn't cancel my Netflix. You know, I didn't cancel my Netflix. None of us did. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So there's people who did, who said, I'm not doing it. Right. There are people. I mean, probably not enough to make an impact. Maybe not. Maybe because yeah. Netflix now has we can't we can't deny this. Netflix now has a campaign of diversity going on, yeah. especially mm-hmm. after the last scandal where the communication person was using racial slurs. Yeah. After the Monique situation, right? Yeah. So my point is, is that like we also have to be weary of what we're putting out there for, sure. for us and how we begin to devalue ourselves and other women because that takes a, that takes a toll on our entire community. So when a woman stands up and says, "Well, I want you to pay you need to pay me $15,000 for the speaking engagement." We should the, it should not be why does she think she should get $15,000 for the speaking engagement? Or hers takes away from mine. Right. Like cuz that's something I see so often with I mean, we're taught such a scarcity narrative from mm-hmm. a very young age of like Right. You're not enough. You have to compete in order to get anywhere. You have to compete with your, like, other women. Mm -hmm. And you should be competing for the intention of men. And you should be competing for their validation. And it's not that you should be competing for jobs. It's that it's all attention. It's all external. It's all, like, just, like, a hungry, hungry hippos of Mm -hmm. everything. There's only enough for one of you. Exactly. And, like, how many women do you see at the top of companies? It's not wrong. Something that really infuriates me, too, is, like, when I go into organizations, um, you know, and we've done screenings with big companies like Twitter and Chase and, you know, all these monster organizations. A lot of them have these women's networks and these offshoots of that are new, actually, which is interesting. That <laughs> within the last five years, right. they decided, oh, these are, we should have these conversations, which is uh, another point. Mm-hmm. Um, but often none of them will have budgets. Mm. And so if I can get into a company, usually one of the things that I try to say is that like this work that women do, this labor that they do to, you know, build communities and talk about issues is not free labor and that these women need to be compensated because it's infuriating and it creates that scarcity narrative of like, you know, I've had huge, I mean, monstrous companies you throw up in your mouth. If you, (laughs) if you heard that they were like, Oh, we don't have a budget for that. And we're not, we don't get, we're not allocated as women in this space a budget to be able to do anything. So it further creates the scarcity narrative that like our issues aren't important, our stories, our narrative, the work we're doing, Mm -hmm. because a lot of companies just expect inclusivity and diversity and, you know, women's issues to be things that are, that are, and they're hugely important to culture, which is baffling to me that people don't spend money on it, but they expect it to be for stuff, labor that's done for free. They hired a person. They hired a diversity and inclusion officer. What more do you want? Yeah. It's I don't, crazy you know, to me what is this person going to do? Totally. I mean, all the, all the money that they should be giving for the things that you're mentioning mm-hmm. goes to advertising. After we do something in a neighborhood or something, we're going to do some PR around it. There's yeah. nothing really happening. This has been the big thing about these big companies, especially in like Silicon Valley, is that there's nothing happening. The needle is not moving. You're putting people, you're giving someone a job, but there's nothing really happening. So Well, it, it's a lot of lip service, I think, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, we know this isn't, like, it's, it's a lot of white men going, this is a thing. It seems to be important. We should be giving time to it, but they don't. When they don't allocate finances, mm-hmm. then they're not allocating real power. I think they actually have like like they have no concept of what that would mean. Like resources for what? Like they are coming at this so far behind, they don't mm-hmm. even know the experience. And they're not participating anyway, right? So. And it's not just white men. It's like 
men across the board have no idea about women's experiences overall. Mm -hmm. Like the heads of these companies I'm talking about, like the people who are in charge of decision making. They wouldn't even see like bringing Dreamgirl as being good for company culture because they're like, it's a movie. Like what, what would this facilitate other than like a nice afternoon of watching a film and like enjoying it? But see, I think I, see, I partly disagree with that. Yeah. Because they're they're all and then it's like, well, show me the numbers. They have the numbers. Totally. They have the numbers. The numbers that teams under women perform sixty six percent better. Mm-hmm. Still not more women. They hires. make thirteen percent more revenue. Yeah. There you go. I yeah. mean, I could go on and on about numbers. They have the numbers and they translate to bottom line in dollars and they're still not doing it. So mm-hmm. I guess we have to ask our que- the question I becomes think it's, why. I think they're afraid to lose power. There you go. Absolutely. There you go. And we are afraid to assert our power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where the money issue comes in. Well, and I in. think kind of to go back to the beginning of our conversation, um, I have heard Sheila Nevin speak a couple of times. She was the president of HBO Documentary for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. And she said that the minute that she started to get financial power at HBO, meaning that she was, you know, her projects were starting to make big money, Um, that's when she started to see a shift in the content that she could produce. And I think as women, again, like we, we disconnect this idea of social impact and change and wanting to make the world better and wanting our work to matter. And I think we don't understand that we need, we need big money to do that. And that asking for money and needing money and having it be our birthright as men who can walk into these rooms and feel like it's, uh, you know, a privilege that they should have. Um, is something that we need desperately to like ingrain into our brains. So you said earlier that money is power. Money is also access. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to understand. In order to access the things that we want to change in the world and do the, in the world, we need money, you know, period. Like any nonprofit organization, they use, if they're operating in certain countries, they use cash to get things done. That's just the bottom line. That's the way the works. So it is access. But if we're not tapping and tapping into that money and having that, then we don't have access. So these things don't happen. So it also goes back to the definition of business again, right? So I think that some of the things with women to get past that hurdle and to go back to like the first question about identity is to understand that you are in business now. And your job as a business owner is to sell a product for exchange of currency. Sell God, a good or service a, exchange of a good <laughs> that currency. That was like such a huge lesson. I feel yeah. like that I that it took us a long time to learn. Yeah. Because that was a narrative that like we were, um, you know, obviously we wanted to make money, but mm-hmm. it, I feel like it wasn't until like a switch went off that was like, okay, this isn't like a passion project anymore. I'm not the art director anymore. I'm not the director. Like this is a business. And if we don't make money, we're going down. Right. You also did not make Dream Girl to sell it. Like you were the director. And I think that that was a huge identity shift for you as an owner mm-hmm. was like, now I have to sell this thing and I have no idea what that means and I have no idea what that That's true. It wasn't a job I signed up for. No. And so it's a job you took on under circumstance and it was like, okay, so what does that mean now? Right. And so that's a a really great point because what happens, especially with creatives, and and this is so common among creatives, she was a director. I'm here to create. I'm not here. The rest of the stuff is dealt with someone else. And let's think about that, Right. Ava DuVernay, she's creating. She's she's not, I mean, she probably does. She's had to in advance. You know, she's been in PR. She's had her own business. So, you know, she's had that uh, um, to leverage. But now when she's making $100 million movies, she's just like, okay, someone is sitting down with her when she says, this is everything that I need. This is, I want all this. 
and they're saying, okay, but now let's bring it down to this because the numbers, blah, 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 blah. Let's see how we can do this. And because if you spend this, then we won't make this. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have to think about that. Someone's coming in. There's a whole team mm -hmm. whose job is to sell the tickets to this film and make it profitable. That's it. Her job is to make a good movie. And that's the common thing with creatives. The creatives get in it to create. And so I always say as a creative, are you going to, okay, so who is that person who is going to sell your creation? But who I is feel like do when that? we're starting out in the beginning, I think a lot of us, you know, and speaking from my own experience, we mm -hmm. don't have the luxury to have somebody else. And Absolutely. so you're, we're going to have to buck up and figure it out. I agree. Then that's my next point, right? So you don't have that person. So then now you have to step into this place, but you're fearful or you don't want to. And you have to let go because it's either, you know, then it becomes that question of, is this going to be a business or a hobby, mm -hmm. right? So if you want to create and you want to keep these for yourself and you don't want to be in the business of it, then don't then you have to find something else. Maybe you're less attached to um, and and do that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. let that fund your hobby, yeah. so to speak. You know, But you cannot be in business. Like You cannot be in business and be the, in this fear and have this fear and not overcome it, not move past it. You, know? you said a key word earlier, resentment. You, you negotiate this, you feel like, okay, I got a check, and then you realize that it's not worth it. You know, mm -hmm. you gave all of this, you're doing all this work and you're like, for how much? Yep. Like, how did this happen? Then you begin to resent this person and you shouldn't. It's not their fault because they, they, may, be, they may, may not even have negotiated that with you. You negotiated that. Right, right. You told them $1,000 when they were willing to give you five because of your own self-worth. Yeah. Right? Leaving money on the table is right. such a huge thing right. I talk about with my friends all the time. Yeah. And then we also have to know from a business perspective, a lot of people like that. Again, so you know, charge whatever you want. But then we also have to look at the marketplace seriously. Yeah. You really have to understand competitive advantage, right? And your competition, right? If you're going to go into a marketplace and you're going to be, and I could tell you, I owned a salon for five years. I built it to multiple six figures before I was like, let me get the hell out of this crazy business in this place, right? And I, I was, when I, before I even got to open up, I was still in the middle of construction. Someone came and opened up right across the street from me. <gasps> opened up a month before me. I mean, everyone in the neighborhood was like, open, you have to open now. You have to open now. Like, because they were already invested in me, yeah. you know? And um, I was, I was, I cost more, I had a green nail in day spa in uh, Prospect Heights on Vanderbilt Avenue, St. Mark's in Prospect called Wink Eco Beauty Bar. And I had to, you know, I had to open up and had to do things. And guess what? My, my manicure and pedicure, my products were always more expensive. Well, a little bit more than her. Not more expensive. I don't want to use the word. They were more than hers. But I could justify that. Yeah. You know, my justify, that was like, why? Because it's green? Yep. It's green. It costs more. And it's good for your health. It's good for you. It's good for you and the earth. And that was our model. You know? And guess what? You get a great environment and people were willing to pay for it yeah. because they don't shop based on value, price. Baby value. value. So I had mothers to be like, no, I'm not going there. I'm going here. I don't smell nail polish. It's, you know, I feel healthy. I feel safe. I watch how they use the tools. I mean, these were the things. So at that point, I could charge Did more. Did you sell the salon? What happened to it? No, I didn't get to sell the salon. One of the big mistakes. I talked about that in Dubai when I did my... Um, Fuck up nights. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Talk. <laughs> I was like, the biggest thing I could say in my career was my exit. Always have an exit plan, mm. right? Um, 
And an exit plan, when you know you have an exit strategy, that also helps you go out there and get the money because you know what you're working for. If you're just like, hey, I'm going to get in this and just start selling these things, then it's kind of like, okay, but where are you going with this? You know, so every business right now for me is not a legacy business. It's a business to build and sell. And so I didn't get to sell it. Um, At that point, I had closed down. We were going to add hair services. I renovated. I had got a new investor. It's a long story. (laughs) Got new investors. And then I realized that personally, I was so unhappy being there 9 to 12 hours a day, dealing with the turnover in New York of the beauty business. And I was just like, I'm ready to walk away. And I did. um, And it actually worked out in my favor with my investors, my landlord, everyone. I was able to walk away debt free. So that was good. Good. Yeah, for but, sure. But um, I lost out because I had a great lease, a great price, and yeah. I was trying to figure out what to do, but I just wasn't in the headspace. Mm-hmm. But it's a lesson that I can teach others now, so it yeah. works. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tony, I feel like we could talk to you all day. <laughs> I think one thing that I really want to kind of end mm-hmm. on a note um, is we obviously, I feel like we keep coming back to this idea that women, we don't have the right narrative tools to be able to value our worth and go after it and take up space. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what you guys think, any advice or thoughts of how we can make this better and how we can, you know, empower our listeners to, you know, go out and ask for more or not be afraid to charge for something. Like what, is there anything that you've seen with your clients or Diana that you've read or just through your experience with Dreamgirl that has really like added value and like what are the tools we can give people now? Um, I think one of the main tools is, again, looking at your environment, knowing your industry, um, and when, knowing, knowing what's happening in your industry. So, um, it, you know, people say it's hard to find out what other people are making and it's worth, but not really because, I mean, we have things like on Indeed, they have the yeah. salary, I don't know what they call them, salary guides and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think stay in tune with those things. Also, clarity is key with any position. I think I'm learning this and talking with my daughter about this all the time with her working right now. Um Taking a position, taking an opportunity, being very clear about... Uh, the goals, the objectives, and what is expected of you and what you're agreeing to. Because what I see a lot, especially with we look at the gender uh, wage gap and what's happening just working for others now is just that people are taking positions, the job descriptions are not clear, and then you're getting piled on with work and more and more work, and you're not getting paid accordingly. And so then now it's like, oh, you're asking for more money, but this is technically in your job description, but there really is no job description. Yeah. So being very clear about my roles, my responsibilities, what this is, and being able, being clear about uh, being not afraid to say. And when you begin to add these workloads or things go out of this, we need to be able to come to the table to discuss how you know, the value that I'm now bringing, the extra value that I'm taking on and producing for your company as an asset for your company, how um, I will be compensated for this. And, you know, it's the compensation is not always just about money. It's about flexibility, things of that nature. Also, when from a business perspective, working with clients, um, you know, the biggest thing I could tell someone, a tool or understanding is, you know, again, knowing, you know, what's happening around you. Um, but also, you know, communicating your value, you know, just communicate your value. Like, look, 
this is who I am. When someone comes to work with me, I'm very clear. I do not beat around the bush so I don't waste time. This is how much it is. This is the starting point to start working with me. I think that we spend a lot of time because we're afraid to turn away a customer or even fire clients. Mm -hmm. And I'm not, I've gone past that point where I'm no longer afraid to fire clients or say we're not a good fit. Um, this is my price point. This is where I start. If that scares you or whatever, we don't even need to continue the conversation. You are not my customer. You're not my client. And this already, let's avoid the resentment and all that later. Let's not even go here. Or you're going to respect me and say, you know what? I okay, now that I know, let me get my shit together and I'll come back to you when I'm ready. You know. But I, what I won't accept is, oh, well, that's expensive. And it's that, no, it's not expensive because the value that I'm going to give you, how much money will you make off of this? You yeah. just called me and said that you need your business to go to multiple six figures, right? And I quoted you $10,000. Why is that, for example? And mm -hmm. you're going to make multiple six figures and you don't want to give me $10,000. You have to get put it in perspective for people to yeah. see that I way. feel like that was a lesson I learned as a freelancer in college was like the worst. The people who wanted to nickel and dime you were always the worst people to work with. And the right. people that just were like, okay, here's the money for right. the logo or the website were right. a privilege to work with. Yeah. Find your people. Always. Like, do not be afraid to let these people go. Stop talking to the wrong people because the conversation shifts dramatically when you're talking to the right people. They are not haggling you. They understand your worth. You know, so just quickly on branding and communicating your value through that. If you are communicating your brand through your messaging and through everything properly, then people will not question that. Before they even contact you, they will see this and understand this, and they will not step to you unless they step to you correctly. Mm -hmm. They will step to you with the notion that, you know what, she's probably going to be at this range and et cetera, and so I'm ready, and I'm going to go here. And then they might be pleasantly surprised that you're not that. at that level. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I'm off the bat. Tani, you are our people, <laughs> and this was everything, and I feel like I, I'm just like... Every single point you make, I'm like bullet points down all the way down and like, let's get into it. But oh this was amazing. <laughs> and you have seriously unearthed like so much. So much Do you much have any advice about. for people, Diana? Um, with this question? I really love what you said about just talk to people. Like, I think that what we're so afraid, I think we're so secretive about money and I think there's so much shame around it. And it's like the only way we're going to move past that is by not being shamed about it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that one of the things that I really love is that you find your people. I've, I feel lucky to know women who are very transparent about the money, um, the money in their lives. And I think, you know, don't be afraid to talk to men. Don't be afraid to talk to, you, you know, people that you admire. Don't be afraid to talk to a whole bunch of different people about this stuff and ask questions because it's, we're all just trying to figure out and to normalize kind of that we don't maybe, we're maybe secure in it, but we can all kind of help each other with it. I, I think a big thing that I would suggest. For sure. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to just tack on that I think um, practicing helps a lot. And I think that in the beginning, like you should be expected to be nervous about conversations about money and it should feel uncomfortable. And then after five of those conversations, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. I think it's like anything that brings you discomfort, you kind of just have to dive in and start and not be, don't be mad at yourself, you know, for not totally nailing it. And you'll be surprised at how 
much easier and less personal it gets the more you do it. 100%. I think it like it becomes you just get way more comfortable with the conversations. Um, do your homework and like educate yourself about what your industry is like and mm-hmm. how much people are charging and what that means for you and and know that it can look however you want it to look like is I think a big thing. And I yeah. think that's really great. Like invest in like sometimes we invest in the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Invest if sales or negotiating is not your thing. Invest in in a, in someone or a course that is proven. That is good, you know, yeah. and go learn that and don't be afraid to learn that. A lot of women, there are a lot of sales coaches and out there and a lot of women. My don't. ebook is just eighteen dollars yeah. yes. at Aaronbagwell.com. <laughs> I have it. <laughs> that people can buy. I love yeah. the plug. Yeah. Um also I will just say two other quick things. Um, setting up rules is everything. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you gonna say when people ask about discounts? What are you gonna say when people say, you know, what are the 15 things that somebody could say to you on the phone? If you don't have the rules, you will feel obligated to please somebody on the phone. And so you will give them what they want and you need to actually set up regulations and guidelines about how you're going to work. Um, we call that, yeah, we call, I call that overcoming objections. So overcoming objections helps you, objections of when someone says, well, I can't afford that. Knowing how to respond to that yep. is very important. For you sure. have to know. And you need to write down, like you said, everything that you think or reason why someone would Yeah, because would say, the first couple no. of times, I used yeah. to just read it off a, like a post-it note. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, it's in my brain. But, right. you know, get it, give yourself some tools. And, um, yeah. and then, Diana, I think to your point and what we're talking about of the tribe, something that really helped me is like when I heard other people not in my industry, but also outside of my industry, just making a shit ton of money. Um, you know, when I hear about my friends who bring in millions of dollars from their businesses, I'm like, oh, like this is normal and oh, this is attainable. (laughs) And I think surrounding yourself with, you know, um, a community and I, I feel very privileged to have a group of entrepreneurs that's in startup mode in the middle, you know, doing really well in their businesses. And I think when you can have that range and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, or you can see the abundance, um, at the end of the rainbow, I think that's very powerful. Yes, and I would add to that mentorship. Mm. So find someone, work on it, get their attention, um, respect their time that they give to you. Um, and and that person needs to be that person who is successful and has done what you're in and is willing to really give back to you, um, feedback into you. And as far as, and that can be also within a peer group, a lot of women and we do this, right? We we want to stay where we're comfortable. Yeah. No, go out there and get uncomfortable. Go in, go to that networking event with all the you know seven figure earners that you feel like oh they're so shallow. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Go and see what you could learn. Don't let your perceptions and your fears really stop you from going and maybe make relationships that will open doors for you, that you will learn more about overcoming these fears and just things that you can pick up from just being in their presence that you learn about their confidence, you know, about their assertiveness and why they are who they are and why they're able to get where you're trying to be. So Absolutely. I love it. Tani, how can we support you? How can our buddies find you? If they're <laughs> like, oh my God, you need to coach me or how can they <laughs> link up with you? So they can, uh, I mean, everything, all social media, I'm at Tani Chambers. Um, they can reach me on LinkedIn or they can go to my website, which is about to get a brand update. <laughs> TaniChambers.com. Yes. 
which I did consult a professional, not myself, <laughs> and it's pay the to top do your dollar. Own. It's hard to do your yeah. own branding. You really Never need should. like yeah. an outside brain to Absolutely. to do that for sure. And she wasn't cheap, which was okay because I know she's going to give me what I want. Because it's the value, baby. <laughs> right, exactly. She got me and I went through <laughs> so many people. But yeah, tawnychambers.com or you can always email me at info, I-N-F-O, at tawnychambers.com with your questions, anything you want to follow up on. I always respond to emails. We love so. it. I feel like you're about to get flooded and ah, I'm excited about it. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Tani. Thank you yeah. for having Thanks, me, ladies. guys. This is great. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch, Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!